You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Chapter 39. The Dark House. Raoul. It is yesterday. I leap out over the cliff and I become the air, hurtling downwards, accepting my fate. Miguel disappears above me, along with my new friends. I saved them from enemies. I saved them from myself. The earth rushes to meet me. I close my eyes. Goodbye. Goodbye. The impact is terrible. I expected a blinding flash and then nothing, but instead my already overwhelming pain to body and soul becomes magnified as I feel bones break and organs rupture. I am not dead. I lie there on my back, unable to move, spurs of bone protruding through my skin. I must ignore them. I call out to the father of passing. You must grant me this, I think. You must give me my peace, my journey on. I have been good. I have been unselfish. You must give this to me. He is there, hanging back. I spot him standing in the shadow of a tree. Far above me, the cliff soars impossibly high. I am shattered at its base, and now I cannot do anything at all but experience unending agony. I howl weakly, but barely any sound emerges. I wait. Time is meaningless now. The father does not approach. But... Something great and black does begin to creep into my vision. A looming specter occluding the sunset. Or is this the sunrise? It is Dark Panther. The god of our night. Bringer of purpose. Hunter. Your spirit is strong. Save me. The pain is too great. I am losing my mind. As you wish. Dark Panther bears me up, and my broken body is draped upon his furred mount. We take to the air. I am growing colder. We fly forever. I can feel him around me. I shall trust him. Anything to end this state of being. Dear brave one. The voice of the fire lion sounds in my head. 
I can make out his galloping bright form off to the west, keeping pace with us in the air. You gave your life so that your friends might live. Is it finally time? Yes. This is your last day. He rumbles in the thunder. But it is also your first. I'm so... I'm so afraid. Courage, dear heart. You will need the memory of it to face what is coming. We are somewhere else now. I am brought into a house. A figure is there. She has a form like the men, but there is something else inside that frame. She is darker still than the panther who, as I raise my head, I see is the being from the clifftop. Seth. His mount was the scorpion lion. I'm trapped with them, unable to move my body. I lie upon an altar. I hear them speaking. I I only understand some of it from words Miguel and the others taught me. What have you brought me? The female's voice is like claws on stone. She horrifies me. Her face is pale and drawn, tattooed all over in intricate designs and, and framed in dark, dark long hair. But her body is aged and bony. She is enshrouded in a flowing black robe which seems to shift and change shape leaving me uncertain of how she is standing. Her movements are like a carrion bird, switching her head left and right as she inspects me with tiny, jerking, yet graceful movements. Her eyes are yellow as poison, and along with the tips of her spindly, gesturing paw pads, they run over my body invasively. She was strong. She has much inside her to feast upon. Where did you find this pretty fractured thing? I do not know where she is from, but she fights with beauty and ferocity. I wish to bring her back to me. You wish to keep her as your consort? I do. She is in death's mouth. This would require a hefty price. What would it cost? She croaks and splays those long paws over my heart. You would have to give half your strength to her. 
I already gave half to Breoth. Then you shall have to decide for the both of you whether or not to share with a third. There is a long silence. Do it. You and your manticore shall be weakened, vulnerable to death if injured sufficiently. Your skins shall not heal like they used to. We shall be cautious. Do it. Ah, but wait. We have established the price you will pay But not the fee you will pay me. What fee? I gave you the color of my eyes. I gave you my laughter. I gave you my recollections. He crosses behind the altar to stand at my side. Those memories I have left were made in recent years. I cannot forget my purpose. At this, the ancient female leans across me and raises her paw to the face of Seth. Gently, lovingly. You have one left from far back. Give that to me. Give that to me, and I shall perform the rite. That is precious indeed. He ponders and paces to the door, his head lowered. A breath slowly escapes him. Very well. Take it. The crone smiles, papery skin drawing back over protruding, yellowed teeth. So be it. So, so be it. Be it. The ritual begins. I cannot protest. I feel deep magics running through me, stopping my mouth caressing my thoughts. Seth is standing to the left of the altar. Breoth sits obediently at my feet and Yagana stands to the right. All three are towering up a million miles high and I am down in this pit where I chose to throw myself. I watch as the female holds up her pads before Seth's face and makes a snatching motion. A tiny, glowing blue sliver is yanked from his forehead, and she wraps the light around her paw, lowering it into a glass bottle and firmly sealing it in. The crone gurgles in triumph and puts her desiccated face close to mine, whispering words I cannot understand but which frighten me beyond measure. I cannot speak, but above me, Brioth and Seth open their jaws and I do the same. I I cannot hold myself shut. She stands, swaying her hips, and draws from their fanged mouths two dark, ominous ribbons of liquid, which swirl through the air, down over me, and into my gaping mouth. 
The witch waves her paws, flexing those shriveled oak pads as she manipulates this darkness out of two vessels and into another. Her hair is splayed out as though she is suspended underwater. It is as inky black as what is now passing my lips. I cannot scream. The liquid is forcing its way through my being. I feel my body on fire. Images flash through my mind, none of which I can recall a moment later. I see a deep well in front of me with starlight at the bottom. I am flung down. I hear the woman's words. Rise once I pass into oblivion. It is yesterday. I am breathing. I sit up and look around me, frantic to escape. The house is empty. I fall to the floor, stretching and cracking my limbs. Something is very strange. I inspect myself and look for where my bones were fractured, finding the skin that was pierced. It has mended. The fur is growing there, but I can still trace tiny lines where it tore. Scars that have formed swiftly. I spring to my hind paws, feeling invigorated, and roll my head around, working my shoulders. I have been bathed, and the blood has been washed away. I am dressed in clothing of leather and cloth, and parts of my armor which were not ruptured and torn remain upon me, including my bracers. I smell all kinds of dangerous things within the confines of these walls. The shelves are lined with bottles and arcane books. A pestle and mortar sit upon the side. A stove is lit with a blue flame dancing away. I head straight for the door, bursting out into the sun. Seth is there. He is kneeling some way off in the long grass, breathing steadily. I glance around. We are in the clearing of a forest. I do not know where. The house behind me looks extraordinary. Tall and tapered, with a roof woven from thick black sticks. A small garden encloses it, and garden and house sit upon a platform, which is balanced upon enormous feet, like those of a bird. Not even simply carved that way, they appear to be living, the scaly skin stretched over them reacting to the breeze rustling through as they slowly flex their claws in the dirt. Smoke rises from the crooked chimney. There is no sign of the one who owns it. I turn back to Seth. I could attack him. I could flee, but... I neither know which way to go, nor do I feel it honorable to pounce upon a meditating figure. 
Instead, I pace over to him quietly and cross in front of his vision. I will not kneel, but I will communicate, or at least try my best. I lock eyes and gesture around the area with my paw, before tapping it against my head to indicate a question. Where are you? He asks. I nod. You are far overland from where I found your body. Behind me, the scorpion lion paces between the trees, watching us, tail quivering. His ruined eye has grown back, white and sightless. I rub my arm in the places his barbs pierced my flesh. I can feel indentations there. I do not know what else to say. So I tap two pads to my jaw and extend them to Seth, stating in English, Thank you. He does not respond, but continues to kneel. I know he wants me to be his companion. That much I have gathered, but my mind races away to Miguel and our friends. Steamheart was damaged. They may be stranded. They may all be dead by now. I do not know how long I have been here. I go, I say again in English, but then point around and tap my head. You do not know the way. I gave you my bones, my flesh. I prized open the jaws of death for you, and still you wish to leave immediately. He lets this sink in and then makes his demand. Stay with me for a night and a day, and if you still wish to leave, I will show you where to run. I go, I say, louder and more urgently. He remains silent. I break off and start to race through the woods. He does not give chase. Eventually he, the scorpion lion in the house, grow small behind me as I bound through the trees. I cannot smell anything I recognize, which makes me start to panic. I turn about and rush back, filled with relief to find them not gone. I bear down on him and roar in his face. Tell me! Briath roars back. But Seth does not move. I have given you my terms, he says, his voice low. I think of the days I could spend fruitlessly, running in all directions, following a trail that cannot be found. I take a deep breath and nod, extending my paw in agreement as I have seen humans do. He does not take it, but stands and goes back into the house. The day goes swifter than I had expected. We spend our time in relative silence. At noon, we dine. He prepares a stew of cooked meat on the stove, and we eat with large spoons. In the afternoon, he asks me to teach him my signs. I do so patiently, translating into English where possible, and being as physically expressive as I can, as each one is established. He pays close attention, and we even devise a few new ones together. I ask him if I am infected 
will I become Teru? He shakes his head. It has not altered me in the same manner as it would Miguel's race, and I do not carry it in my jaws, my blood and saliva, the way Seth does. Instead, like his Manticore Briath, I could scratch or bite a human, and they would not turn savage. However, also like Briath, it is clear that something of Seth is inside me now, all the same. I shudder at what this might entail. In the evening, he takes me hunting. We walk the forests and swamps of this land and observe the new life together. I spot a creature that looks like a reptor sliding through the water, beating its huge scaly tail. The insects chirp loudly. The air is thick and humid with a tangible scent of dampness. I begin to feel a little more at home. There are no humans here. We can be alone together. I show off a little, bringing down a stag with ease and displaying how I hold the creature and end its life. I show him my prayer to the father of passing, a being whom I now feel oddly estranged from, as though I have cheated him. Seth emulates my actions with the next deer we find. I do not know what the words of his prayer are. He may simply have made it up on the spot, but he seems keen to abide by my way of living. He signs to me that I hunt as exceptionally as I fight. I have to check myself and be reminded of what a dreadful threat he posed to my companions yesterday. All the same, I receive this compliment with gratitude. We each carry a deer back to the house. As we reach it, I scent something I have been dreading. Four human teru are crouched at the front porch, their orange eyes narrow and they glare at me. Seth gives a low growl and gestures to one side. They obediently move for us and Seth throws his carcass over towards them. They fall upon its body and begin to feed. We cook and eat the remaining deer for supper. Then I stand with Seth outside as he grooms Briath. He slides the brush over that black fur, cleans the area in between the armored plates, and polishes those great teeth with a cloth as the manticore looks upon me, its immense frame expanding and contracting as it breathes peacefully. I am certain I am not sexually attracted to Seth. In fact, it has been an immensely long time since I was drawn in that way to anyone. But I can smell he is attracted to me. It is later. We lie close to one another. He does not advance upon me, and I do not beckon him, but there is nonetheless something there. Do you wish to stay with me? He asks. I shake my head quickly. Then, I recall what Annie said about this creature being able to detect a lie. I scour my mind, and I am absolutely certain I wish to return to Miguel and be with the other humans. 
I tell him, and myself, that once more. When you asked for life, he signs, I gave you mine. I understand that, but for the first time, I do not wish to be indebted. It feels wrong to devote myself entirely out of guilt or honor. It is not a trade I regret, Seth says nonetheless. He moves his paw away from his body and lets it rest upon the floor, pads upward. He does not demand that I take it. He merely leaves it there. I move my own paw across and rest it on him, and his loneliness radiates forth. He does not say or sign the word, but his entire being asks me to stay. I remain with him until the next morning, and he finds me standing out by the edge of the clearing again. I go go now, I say. Yes. He agrees somberly, and points to the opposite side of the glade. Run for one day. I start to leave and look back towards him as his lion paces over to stand alongside. Seth puts two pads to his chin and then extends them towards me. I nod slowly and return the gesture. Then I begin my run. As I glance back, the dark, shrouded woman has appeared again behind him. She is watching me. The woods flash past. I pace myself. This is not a swift pounce. It is a long hunt. The sun rises up above me and then arcs down and sets behind me as I head east. I run through the night, finally scenting gunpowder and oils from Steamheart, finding a place it had sat on a familiar plain. The cliff is not far off, and they have left a trail where they have driven away. I follow it towards the sound of guns and all kinds of human scents as the sun rises once more. Miguel, it is today. Rao rushes forwards and catches me up in her paws, tumbling over on the ground. Her arms wrap around me as I clutch at her. I cannot believe she is alive. Her frame seems different, stronger, taller, bigger. There is even more of a wildness about her, and I am sure I see flecks of orange in her eyes. We have no time to reminisce. After everyone else has greeted her warmly, I tell her we need horses and the gates must be opened, and we must bring back Major Butler from his sad, angry dream. First thing is first, she says. She has to show me something at the gate. Rao bears me up, as I believed I never would be again, and bounds back towards the front of the town as the gun battle rages behind us. Our friends creep around the side to stay out of the firing line. Rao flings aside the bolt and pulls the gate wide. We are greeted with the sight of an army marching across the grasslands towards us. 
They are clad in blue and black. James is riding with them. And behind him, up in the sky, is a great flying machine with the reunified state's flag emblazoned on the side. We turn in triumph, only to have that melt away as Major Butler lets his guard down for a fraction of a second. He takes one bullet to the arm and one to the knee, falling down in pain, desperate to renew his assault, but being kicked and disarmed with rifle muzzles pressed to the side of his head. Our companions walk out into the town square being led from the stable at ambushed gunpoint. They are surrounded by dozens and dozens of the people of Green Hollow, all standing over the corpses of their fallen. Rao asks me if we should attack or run. If we attack, my friends will be killed. If we run, we abandon them for our own safety. The cruel man with no hair and the black beard has Harry's head wrenched back and his knife pressed against her throat. He points Abigail toward the gate and follows her, shouting to Harau and I, Tell the animal to sheathe them claws, boy. It's high time we had a talk with the government. have been listening to episode 39 of Steamheart, The Dark House, written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Rao, performed again by Maureen Foley. Seth, Miguel, Dark Panther, and The Fire Lion, performed by Alexander Shaw. Yagana, performed by Theo Lee and Sharon Shaw. Buford McClellan, performed by Jacob Newburn. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Fire Lion, composed and performed especially for Steamheart by Gilhaim Steinberg. Medusa, Echoes of Time, All This, It Is Lost, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasko, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, John Clayson, Tyler Long, Adam Kilmartin, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicol, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, and Lorraine Chisholm. The ninth book in this series, Uncivil Outlaw, is shaping up pretty good right now. <laughs>